Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. It's great to be here on Good Friday. We're going to read, uh, firstly, a passage that we're going to look at today from John gospel, John chapter 18, a reading from verse 12 through to chapter 19, verse 16. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also, you're not one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not one of the servants of the high priest. A relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, I'm a Jew. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. 
but my kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out to them and said, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law according to that law, he ought to die, because he's made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold, your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I pray now, be pleased to instruct us in your ways. Give us your grace, for without that we can do nothing. Be pleased to work in our hearts and our minds and our bodies that bring glory to you. Amen. Well, friends, it can't be dismissed. The death of Jesus, uh, as the people would calculate, around 30 AD in, in our time, is an event that actually changed the world. Whether you believe the Bible accounts or not, whether you call yourself a religious person or not, Jesus' existence and his death was a huge event in world history, the history of mankind. Currently there are over 2.4 billion Christians, so they say, in the world, the largest of all the uh, major faiths in the world and still growing, and if you add Muslims, which are about 1.9 billion, who consider... Jesus is a great prophet, that means at least half of the world's population have some regard for Jesus. And yet in our Western culture, as we know, many believe that Christianity is in decline. Many think uh, that it will die out. And it's not true, is it? 
Uh, as the classic poem, uh, uh, One Solitary Life, puts it, all the armies that have ever marched, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever ruled, put together, have not changed this world like this one solitary life. And it's a crucial question. Why do people reject Jesus? Many hear the facts of the story. Many know the story. But yet they remain unmoved. Uh, You know, back at his trial, the people wanted him to be guilty and condemned him. And today, many seem to ignore or disregard or just do away with the claims. And so when we read the accounts of the Gospels, which all tell of this great event, the details might just be an interesting story for a lot of people. And they agree, it's very interesting. And they just see it as something back in history. They don't see it has any implication for them or any application. What don't people see? Well, that's just it, isn't it? The Gospel writers do give us historical events, historical account, and they have a reason for writing. It's not just so that you know the facts of the story. And there are many other details in there that perhaps they didn't relate to us. It's not just a history of events, but it's much more for us hearers and readers. We need to see the implications and the application. John gives us a great uh, word at near the end of his account, John's Gospel. He says this in chapter 20. Uh, there are many other things I could have written, but these things I recorded, I wrote down, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you will have life, abundant life, eternal life in his name. There is an implication for recording the facts that you might believe and so today I want to look at John's gospel and the account of Jesus trial now I have heard many sermons and many sermons have gone past about Jesus death and crucifixion that's very very important to understand that but today I want to look at four implications from what happened when Jesus was tried And um, these are the action of God. Do we see what God is doing? That God has a plan and his plan is to redeem mankind. We see the condition of men. What sort of, how are we affected by sin and uh, how are we sinful? Seeing the truth of that. And then thirdly, seeing the uniqueness of Jesus, that he is both God and man. He is the way, the truth and the life, as John records. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And fourthly, do we see the call upon us to decide? So the action of God, the condition of man, the uniqueness of Jesus, and the question of what are we going to do? We have to decide. Firstly, uh, John highlights the plans of God. There's an old saying, um, you've probably heard it many times, You can't see the wood for the trees. In other words, you're looking at all the trees and all the details, but you can't see the bigger picture. And so often we can see that here is Jesus on trial. We see that here is um, uh, Jesus um, being questioned by 
the Pharisees and the religious leaders. But what is, what is God's plan? That's their plan to, to kill him. And so um, in John's Gospel, the prophecy uh, of the high priest Caiaphas, it's just a little side note that John puts in there, but it does illustrate something. What is the prophecy? Caiaphas advised the Jews that the best thing to happen is that one man should die for all the people. And then, secondly, near the end of this trial account, Jesus responding to the governor, when, oh, you're a king. And Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. That's quite correct, actually. For this purpose I was born, says Jesus, and for this purpose I've come into the world, so that you may know, people may know, and he may bear witness to the truth. And everyone is, who is of the truth listens to my voice. In other words, Jesus came for this purpose. He, he was born into this world uh, for a purpose, as the king, as the one, as part of God's plan to redeem mankind, to show this truth. And so <clears throat> that, that is quite obvious. But let's get back to that uh, prophecy of Caiaphas. What is that? all about it's just a little line in there verse 12 um what's he saying well it goes back to uh, a previous story back in john's gospel about the raising of lazarus from the dead lazarus had been in the tomb for three days and probably smelt a bit and jesus raised him from the dead and people were just so amazed and what the religious leaders saw was everyone was flocking to jesus and they were a bit, perhaps a bit envious and they were a bit worried and they were having a big discussion. And in chapter 11, verse 49 to 52, um, one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, you guys, uh, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man may die for the people and that the whole nation, so the whole nation would not perish. Now, he didn't say this on his own initiative, John records, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Now, how clear is that, that this is pointing to God's plan? Men may scheme. Caiaphas and the council and the Jewish leader said he's got to die. And Caiaphas made this prophecy which came to be true. But it didn't change God's plan, God's overall plan, to redeem men everywhere. God is a loving God. He's not a condemning God. He seeks the lost, the alone. He's such a good God. This is what he's on about. And the Bible shows us this. Even if one or many go against God, people like they were doing there in Jerusalem, God isn't defeated by that or unable to do what he's planned. His plans come to fruition through Jesus. Yes, Caiaphas' prophecy did come true. Jesus did die. But also he did, does bring together people. That's what he's doing all the time today into one nation under God. So why do people fail to see this? Uh, you know, people say, well, why would God ever love me? I'm such a rotter. I mean, look at my record. 
uh, or I've suffered so much, so much pain. Where is God in all of this? And there's so much wrong in the world. Where is God fixing those things? Or it's not fair that God has taken that person out of my life. It's not fair that I have to go through this. It's so easy to say those things, isn't it? And to believe what's not true, that God's not working out his plan, that God's not in our life, it can be in our lives, that he's gone to sleep or he doesn't care. It's so easy to get out of touch with God. Um, I'm sure we've all got a story to tell about this. Um, My story, my circumstances, one little story is that uh, a few years ago, I suffered terrible pain. I had um, uh, a pinched nerve which was losing the flow of blood uh, in my spine and the sciatic nerve was squeezed so much that it was excruciating pain for months and months and months Uh, and and I was on the strongest pain givers the doctors could give me. And I was remembering thinking back then and speaking out to God, how can I work, how can I sleep, how can I do anything anymore anymore? What what are you doing, God? I was praying he would relieve me of that. And then, over time, I worked out that God gave me the calm and the peace as I kept on reflecting on the scriptures and what Jesus went through, that he went through it for me and he went through far more than what I was going through and that his plans and purposes for me haven't got derailed. Jesus is still working out, uh, God is still working out his plans. And of course the postscript to that prayer was that my back got redeemed. (laughs) A successful back operation by a very uh, good surgeon gave me restoration, which is in the big picture what God wants for all of us. Life without pain. So it's so easy to go along with a crowd and say, well, God's not in this, or God's not there. And back then, those people who were nailing him to the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and he saved others. They, they cried out as they looked upon at, on the cross. He saved others, but now he can't save himself. And yet... A week or so back, they were hailing him as the king coming into Jerusalem. How fickle people can be. How easy it is to forget the prophecies concerning Jesus and Jesus' own words saying, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And the fulfilment of all these events in terms of the Passover. And so we should read carefully these accounts to see that God was planning out all the details to redeem men despite what men might do. And the prophecy of the high priest is very significant in a very special way and he says that one man must die for all. What does that do? What does that say? It takes us right back to Genesis. It takes us right back to the beginning of life and the purposes of God in creating men and women. That it was a necessary death to die for others, to bring men together who have been scattered you know, obviously we need to understand that we need to be redeemed. Redeemed means something that's previously good has somehow got lost or damaged or disfigured. Israel was redeemed out of Egypt. Abraham was redeemed from 
uh, the life he was leading before. And all God's people are redeemed, as it tells us in Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, as we were singing before. The curse which is given in, in Deuteronomy. Cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. And so we see God's plan. And John just inserts that little bit in there to remind us that this plan is a huge plan, a big plan. And and our problem is that we often can easily turn away from God and reject God. And and that's why we come to the second point, that that we are people, we need to recognise our... Our state, the the how we what what we are in, and uh, Romans has a, a great summary of the great exchange. Why we call it church exchange, uh, and when we read Romans five, it just stands out, doesn't it? At the right time, why were we still helpless? Christ died for ungodly people. Really, would someone die for anyone else? Maybe a good person. But Christ died for us while we're against him, while we're enemies, while we're at war with him. And that demonstrates God's love. But more than that, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. And therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so Jesus' act of righteousness dying on the cross... uh, enabled us to be found righteous, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Galatians, which we've been looking at, when the fullness of come, God sent forth his son, born under the law, born of a woman, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as God's children. We need to see that big picture. But secondly, we need to see the second implication is the condition of man. And we can easily be led along. I just want to give you three people that John, we can see from this account. Firstly, Pilate. Pilate, the governor, the judge, a very conflicted man. A man wanting to do right by the authorities. And yet a man also wanting to please the people. Who sought to uphold justice and yet struggled to make a decision. He would have been very aware of Jesus' popularity and hatred uh, by the high priests and the others. And so the high priests bring Jesus to him, and have they worked out a charge? Um, Well, they said he must have done wrong. Um, Why would we bring him to him? And Pilate straight away says, you know, you you try him yourself. There's no charge here. And then uh, they say, yeah, but... We can't kill him, only you can kill him. And so three times, it's interesting, three times, Pilate says, I find him not guilty. I find him not guilty. I find him not guilty. Matthew then, in his other little incident, that makes even Pilate Pilate more fearful, that his wife comes to him and uh, says, uh, you know, I've had a dream. Uh, don't have anything to do with that righteous man. He's not guilty. Uh, you know, you could sort of draw something from that about listening husbands listening to their wives, uh, but we won't go there. Pilate was just a very conflicted man, and we can be too. And that's why we need to understand our condition. Now, if you went before the judge who rewards the guilty and condemns the righteous, 
you would cry out, but Jesus didn't. Where's the problem? It's in the heart of man. Pilate was driven by the appeal of the crowds, desire to keep people on the side, and uh, said, what is truth? It's a good question. And it's really a question if we continue that on. What is the truth about God? What is the truth about God's plan? What is the truth about ourselves? What motives and desires do we have that drive us to do the things we do and to worship the things we worship rather than God? That's a great example. But another one is Peter, obviously. (laughs) Resonate with the story of Peter. Also a very conflicted man. One of the closest disciples of Jesus who said not long before this whole account, uh, when Jesus asked him, who do you say I am, Peter? You are the son of God, the son of the living God. But here is Peter three times denying Jesus before servants, before people ask him, aren't you one of the disciples? What drives Peter to do that? And the answer is perhaps fear, certainly perhaps uh, a fear of rejection. Pilate affirms Jesus as innocent three times. Peter denies Jesus, the closest disciple, three times. And yet 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up before a crowd, 3,000 souls, and he says to them, it was you who crucified the Lord, God, that God made both Lord and Christ. You killed him. You're guilty. And when they heard it, and they said, what do we do about it? They, said, they were cut to the heart. They said, um, Peter said, repent and believe. Please know, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty, but this is what God is saying through the scriptures. It says, the heart is deceitful, above all desperately wicked. Who can know it? But God does. And Paul says, we all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And what can we do? You know, many find it hard to deal with anxieties and hopelessness. And we either suffer mentally and find it hard to shake off depression or a sense of hopelessness, or perhaps we don't think our sins are too bad, that Jesus should die in our place. I was reading a story about a Christian songwriter by the name of Bob Coughlin. He described a three-year period where it was his hopelessness in his life characterised by depression, panic attacks and itching. And he confessed it to a pastor And to his great surprise, the pastor said, I don't think you're hopeless enough. (laughs) And Coughlin thought he was joking, but he explained, if you were completely hopeless, you would stop trusting in what you think you can do to change the situation and start trusting in what has already done for you through the cross. So then for months after, every time this sense of anxiety came and hopelessness came, he would say to himself, I'm a hopeless person. But Jesus Christ died for hopeless people. That's the implication of this story, that Jesus came for those even who shouldn't, should have known, but they too come to realise later that it was hopeless. They can't pull themselves up by their socks or whatever. 
Now, we could go on about guilty feelings. You can have a false guilt. You can have a a real guilt. Um, Real guilt takes place when we disobey God, when we transgress the law of God. We may not even feel guilty about that, but that's real guilt. Whereas perhaps false guilt is uh, when um, uh, we're overcome with a load of cares and worries and had nothing to do with the things of God. But these worries and cares are imposed by the world around us. And that's where we need to run back to Jesus and see that he does care for us. He is able to help us deal with that sense of hopelessness. And finally, uh, the third person is Barabbas. Uh, when, when we look at the trial of Jesus, who's really on trial and who's guilty? Who's condemned? Uh, if we were to go on trial for a crime and there's clear, irrefutable proof that we've done the crime and the judge asks, what's your defence? Um, you say, well, I don't feel guilty. Does that free you? No. For Jesus, there was no crime. For Barabbas, there was crime. It was very clear he was a criminal and that's why he was in jail. But they cried out, the crowd cried out, uh, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And um, Barabbas, you know, represents you and me. We're the guilty ones and yet we're freed. Jesus, the innocent one, was punished and killed. And so we must see that we have a very great need. This is our condition This is our condition. Um, And then finally, the uniqueness of Jesus. Here's a revelation of God's truth. Just one little word there. You know, uh, he's the son of God. That was the claim. He's claimed to be the son of God. He's made himself to be a king. And uh, at the same time, as we read through the Gospels, he referred often to himself as the son of man. This is the... The truth here, the implication here, that Jesus is both God and man together. And it's hard for us to grasp that, two natures, one person. But uh, that makes him a very unique being in all the world. And the only way to eradicate guilt and ease the conscience is an authentic treatment for authentic guilt. And that's real forgiveness. And that only comes through this unique person of Jesus because he was truly the spotless uh, lamb of God. And, and um, that what, what we're called to do is turn away from living to please ourselves and live to please God. And so then we finally come to this call upon us. These accounts really ask us, in a way, who is Jesus? This is what he's like. This is who he is. This is what he's done for you. He, he is part of God's plan. And when we see we need this plan for ourselves, we need to accept Jesus into our lives. Uh, we need to make that decision. But uh, as, as we said, many people seem to reject Jesus these days in our culture. And yet many do, obviously, around the world. And so we need to decide... And even if we're still sceptical, even if we, haven't, we don't think we've got enough information, uh, we can read the Gospels, we can read these accounts. Uh, 
Jesus calls us to make a decision. And uh, you should know that he's revealed God's plans. You should know that um, he is the Lord and the Saviour for all. And, and, and one of the things is that we need to keep looking at the cross, the wonder of his love, as uh, one songwriter says, should draw us to him and to hear his words of grace to the, uh, uh, um, the man, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do, or to his mother and his beloved disciple, uh, John, uh, here is your son and here is your mother. Uh, Jesus cares, even hanging on the cross. And, and then remember the power of his grace, that this one man uh, took our place. Hey, he didn't deserve it, we deserve it, but he did it. And it's finished, as he said, it's finished. Um, no one else is good enough to die uh, for us, but he is, and he did. And so, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, there are wonderful truths in this account uh, as we read it, um, perhaps we haven't thought through some of these things, but Lord, it's just so marvellous that he took upon himself our sin and uh, it was buried, it was finished, so that we can be free of guilt and, as the scriptures say, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you uh, for this wonderful good news. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.